Good morning. Today I would like to speak to you about what I believe is one of the most amazing attributes of God, and that is his patience. Or better, more accurate word, God's long-suffering. God's patience, God's long-suffering is remarkable. In spite of all, all of our wrongdoing, in spite of all our transgression and sin, God is gracious and loving toward us each and every day. The Greek word for patience is macrothumia. It really comes from two words. The first being macro, which means long, distant, far off, large. The second, thumos, which means temper, passion, emotion, to be furious or to burn with intense anger. So macrothumia really means long-tempered, that God has a long fuse as opposed to a short fuse that sometimes we have. Macrothumia is, is really the capacity to be wronged and not retaliate. It is the ability to hold one's feelings, one's emotions in restraint as you bear up under the oversights and wrongs afflicted by others without giving in to vengeance, without giving in to retaliation. Long-suffering, as we read in God's word, really is it's more than patience because it's, it implies standing in the face of wrongdoing with a refusal to give up hope. It's being patient and enduring while holding up hope for change and reconciliation. And that is the heart of our God. You know, as God took Israel out of Egypt, as he tried to take them into the promised land, he was patient with them all along the ways they rebelled against him. And finally, as the 10 spies refused to faithfully follow God's direction, Moses in Numbers 14 still praises God and, and acknowledges God's long sufferings. In Numbers 14, verse 18, he says, The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, for, and forgiving sin and rebellion. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Moses appealed to the long suffering and patience of God, which God showed his people each and every day. David, when facing his enemies, and, and, and Psalms 86 verse 14 says, The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. David, as anyone would have wanted to, hoped that God would take out his enemies. But then he had to stop and acknowledge God is gracious. God is long-suffering. God is patient even with my enemies, even with people who are opposed to me. Uh, he also writes in Psalms 8, 103, verse 8, one, one of the great chapters of the Psalms. He says, the Lord is gracious. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. 
That is God's long-suffering patience toward us. You know what makes the the long-suffering of God so amazing to me? Number one is the fact that God is holy. That God is light. That in him there is no darkness. That he lives in unapproachable light. He is a holy, perfect, pure God. But secondly, it's the fact that God knows all sin. He sees all things. He has knowledge of of every transgression. Do you realize that the holy and sinless God of heaven knows your every fault, your every sin, your every evil thought? Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, giving watch on the wicked and the good. His eyes are, 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 are in every house. In every country, in every nation, Hebrews 4 verse 13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Psalms 80, 90 verse 8 in the message version says, you keep track of all our sins. Every misdeed since we were children is entered into your book. Wow. God sees it all. He sees every sin. He sees every act of injustice. He sees every act of evil and knows every impure thought. He sees every assault, every life that is unjustly taken, every plot to do evil. God sees the abuse of of any and every person, every child, every woman, every helpless person. God knows every lie that is told, every false test testimony that is presented, every slanderous word that is spoken. He knows our thoughts. He knows our intentions. He knows our motives. He knows and sees all darkness in our world and one day will bring it all into judgment. But now he patiently with long suffering, with love, holds out hope for us. And Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 14, he says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Just think about this. God sees every act of darkness, and yet he still holds out hope for us. I could not handle seeing all that God sees and knowing all that God knows. Only a merciful and long-suffering God can hold out for hold out patience and hold out hope for a world like this. I understand now with David in 2 Samuel 24 as he's facing God's discipline. I understand why David said to Gad in 2 Samuel 24 verse 14, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord. For his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. See, God is so much more patient and long-suffering than we are. David understood that. Now, I ask sometimes, I wonder sometimes, why has God not brought this wicked world to an end? Do you ever wonder that? Do you ever wonder why God has not taken out the wicked and the evil people and, and why God hadn't dealt with um, circumstances and situations that we know are corrupt and unrighteous? Why hasn't he brought judgment on this world? 
It's because God is long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in love. A great example of God's long-suffering is seen with Noah and the flood. You know, God held out, hoping for change. In 1 Peter 3, verse 20, the Bible says God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. When the long-suffering of God waited patiently. And though God waited patiently, only eight people obeyed God and got on that ark. Let's go back and read Genesis in Genesis 6, beginning in verse 5. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created, and will, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then in Genesis 6 verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. And was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become. For all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. You know, God gave them something that he gives us. That can get us all into trouble. And that is free will. God does not try to control what we do. He gives us the freedom to choose if we want to follow him or if we want to rebel against him. Now, that same freedom, free will can lead us to heaven because God wants us to decide to do what is right because we choose to, because we love him, not because we we have to. And that free will that, that God gives us the freedom to say, yes, I will follow him or no, I, I, I won't is what can 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 get us into great trouble and and so we see that God wants us to respond to him in love out of our own sincere desire to do so. You know, I believe that God was working back in Noah's time just as he works in our time hoping, believing, just holding out hope that men will respond. Men and women will respond. God knew then that that the hearts of men and people then knew what was right and what was wrong, just like we know today. And Noah's life was a testimony of what God was pleased with. And the Bible says in Genesis 6 verse 9 that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. People saw Noah's life. They saw as an example. Second Peter 2 verse 5, Peter says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness during that time. That Noah was, was actively going around speaking to people, warning them of the flood that was coming. Trying to help them to respond to God's judgment that was on the way. How long did Noah do this? How long did Noah preach? Well, in Genesis 7 verse 6, the Bible says that Noah was 
hundred years old when the flood came. You know, how many years did he preach? We don't know. But we know he lived for, for more than 600 years. And for many years, he told people about this flood and they could see the ark being built. And so they knew something was going on. And God was patiently holding out hope for them. Scholars believe that it took anywhere from 40 to 100 years for Noah to build that ark. God waited patiently. And God is waiting patiently today. God is waiting patiently for people to respond to the gospel. God is waiting patiently for many of us who are disciples to, to make the changes that we need to make. You know, I, I ask myself sometimes, why is God so patient? Why is God long-suffering? And, and number one, it's because God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants all people to be saved, all men to be saved, all women to be saved. That's what God wants. The Bible says, I urge then, Paul wrote, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. And to come to a knowledge of the truth. That is the heart and will and desire of our God. God reminds us in, in, in the word that we cannot take his long suffering and his patience for granted. That we're not going to be here forever. And it's not that God's patience will run out. But our time eventually will run out. In Second Peter 3 and verse 3. Peter writes above all. You must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed by the same word. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is saying, I'm holding out judgment in the hope that you will respond, that you will get your life right with me. Second Peter 3 verse 9, American Standard Version says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's the heart of our God. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. He doesn't want any of our relatives to be lost. He wants our parents to go to heaven, our children to go to heaven, our relatives to go to heaven. God doesn't want any of our neighbors to be lost. And so God has planted us in, our, in that neighborhood. And he wants us to live a righteous life as a testimony of his grace and of his goodness. And so he wants us to keep reaching out, to keep praying for them. God doesn't want any of our co-workers to be lost. 
or any of our fellow students to be lost. So we need to keep holding out hope as he does, sharing the good news with them. God has sent us to tell them of his abounding love and goodness. God's patience is amazing. But we don't have forever to respond to it. And if there's ever been a time where we should understand the fragility of life and the urgency of getting our lives right with God, it's in the year of this pandemic where thousands have died. God's patience. Let's not take it for granted. You know, I was praying with a brother this past week and trying to comfort him as he's lost two, he lost two brothers this year. And he did all that he knew to do to give them an opportunity to, to be saved, to introduce them to the church. But he, he couldn't make them respond. He couldn't make them love God or want to be disciples. But he did what he could. Have you responded to God's patience and love? As a disciple, if there are things in your character, in your life, in your heart that you need to, to deal with, have you responded? Have you turned it around? God is patiently waiting for you to do that. Secondly, God wants us to give him glory. This is why God is long-suffering. He wants us to give us him glory by imitating his character, by imitating his patience. One of the fruit fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, God, the Spirit is his patience. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says love is patient. That's, that's, that's what love is. And so God wants us to imitate that. He wants us to imitate that in our marriages. Cynthia and I, we've been married 39 years now. And in those 39 years, I have learned to grow and she has learned to grow in patience and long suffering. And though we've had many bumps along the way, we have decided that we, one thing we would never do, we would never give up on each other. Divorce is not an option. And yet I hear of so many married couples who've stopped practicing long-suffering patience of God and have decided to give up. That's not what God wants. God wants us to imitate his patience. The same is true with our children and with our friends and with our fellow disciples, to be long-suffering is the heart of God. And he wants us to learn from his example and to follow in his footsteps. Paul understood God's amazing long-suffering and patience. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We praise God today for the unlimited patience, the long-suffering 
that he's shown toward each and every one of us. Thank you, God, for not giving up on me. Thank you, God, for holding out hope, for giving me the time and opportunity to respond to you. And as we commune together, we need to to reflect on that because Jesus on the cross is a testimony of God's great patience, long-suffering, abounding, and gracious love for each and every one of us. And we also need to understand that so many people have not taken advantage of God's love, of God's grace, of God's goodness. And they, they don't have forever to respond. God is still holding out patience and he wants to use us as instruments to give them hope. As we commune together, let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus to the cross as a testimony of your amazing love. And God, thank you for waiting patiently for us to respond to you. Thank you for your goodness and your love and your grace. Thank you for uh, the, the body of cross of Christ that was sacrificed and for the blood of Jesus that was spilled, that all of our sins could be washed away. We thank you. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.